Well, boys and girls, welcome back to Monroe Live Podcast. And I'm here with Sue and Eric, and they're from X-Row. And X-Row is kind of mm, producing some magic that I, I need to know a lot more about. We have uh, many customers that are in the business of... Uh, of uh, getting inverters and whatnot, yours has some very unique, uh, very unique sort of characteristics. So um, this is Sue and Eric, and I would like to maybe have them introduce themselves. So Sue, could you kick it off? Yeah, thank you very much, Sandy, and thank you for having us today. We really appreciate it. Yeah. I'm Sue Osdemer. I'm the CEO of Extro. I joined in late 2019, and I actually come at it from the motor side of the, the business. So I grew up in an electric motor repair shop. My parents taught me how to fix a motor when I was really young. And the fundamentals of what we do is based on the physics of electric motors. I spent nine years at GE, and uh, Extra recruited me to join them in 2019. What did you do at GE? Were you at the jet engine company or the electric uh, motor company? Where I was, I ran, I was the CEO of GE Industrial Motors, so I ran their motor division. Ah. Um, I was part of power conversion. Excellent. Mm -hmm. All right, yeah, and um, yeah, my name's Eric Husted, the CTO here at Extra. Um, and I guess my background is fundamentally in, in power electronics. Um, so, you know, from a, from a very young age, actually, I've sort of got fascinated with any electronics that requires uh, mechanical design, right? So plumbing. Anytime you've got, you know, current going through some serious conductor sizes. So it was always sort of, I've had a fascination with mechanical engineering and electrical engineering. So those two kind of come together quite nicely with uh, power electronics. And then joined Extro, what, like almost four years ago now? Yeah, me. So before that, I was doing um, automotive power electronics um, with a company that originally started as International Rectifier. And then we went through a bunch of acquisitions and mergers and so on and so forth, but uh, basically inverters with IGBTs and then silicon carbide, um, starter generators, power modules, that sort of stuff. So, and then, yeah, last couple of years with, with XRO, um, working on the coil driver. And uh, is, uh, you know, we, we don't do magic. It's all based on real physics. Mm. <laughs> um, <the> <clears throat> well, it's magic to me, yeah. So there you are. <clears throat> Give us a, a little bit of um, background um, you, you can, um, uh, what, one of the things that I'm really the most interested in is how you can, um, I don't know the right terminology, but how you can get the best of both worlds out of, uh, out of a, uh, out of an electric motor. Um, when I saw the graph, I was mm, pretty <laughs> surprised. I'd never seen one like that before. Uh, so traditional torque chart versus uh, a coil driver uh, um, torque chart is the one that I, I, I kind of like, I'd like to see if we can talk a little bit about how that works. Right. And so I'll, I'll go ahead and start with easy layman version and then I'll let Eric give the real power electronics deeper dive. Um, so, so generally speaking, we take the physics of electric motors called coil switching, which I'm sure you've heard of. Yeah into the electronics. So we're essentially electronically gearing. And so the advantage is really that you're able to get that speed and torque at the same time efficiently. So you, you know, you're gonna be able to climb a hill or you're gonna be able to cruise down the highway at full speed without the same drain on your battery that a standard three phase drive would do. And so we look at it as, a, as the next generation platform of control, essentially replacing a three phase drive with extra coil driver inverters in mobility. 
Mm -hmm. Now, Eric, keep it not not too technical, but try to tell us why we were able to do what we were able to do. Yeah, so the you know the two torque curves that you're seeing there, right? Like that that's you can achieve that just by changing the number of turns on the motor, which is really all all the coil driver does. I mean, um, so we switched the windings between series and parallel. So what that's essentially doing is changing the number of turns the machine has by a factor of two. So, you know, you might have, um, say, 12 turns in series and you end up with six turns total in, in, in parallel. Um, and so what that basically does is that when you're in series mode, you've got, um, the, you know, the inverter current flowing through 12 turns, which generates a lot more ampere turns, which is ultimately what makes torque in a machine. Um, the problem that comes with that also is each one of those turns is producing voltage as the machine is rotating. Um, which means that that extra torque production stops pretty quickly because you run out of voltage. Um, then parallel mode allows us to, um, you know, it cuts the torque in half essentially. Um, and then, but also it cuts the voltage of the machine producing in half, which allows the thing to spin um, to a much higher RPM before, um, you know, we need to do, you know, the thing called field weakening, right? Which is where we have to add d-axis current to start suppressing the internal field of the motor if it's a permanent magnet machine so maybe maybe help sandy to kind of see how that would apply in the real world like how that would apply like give the example of like if an electric truck if a ups truck is using our tech how is the tech help better than what's in the market today yeah so what it, i mean electric machines can you know they, they can obviously spin over a very wide rpm range but to do that efficiently um, uh, you start getting into uh, issues of, of um, you know, matching the turns to the right operating region. So what the coil driver does is, I mean, that's what ultimately XRO came, the, the name XRO started as, is extreme rotation. So um, what this coil switching does is essentially it gives you, you know, electric gearing is one way to look at it. Um, uh, from an electronics point of view, maybe impedance matching is a better way of looking at it. Right, because the the impedance that the system produces at a high RPM is very different from the impedance at a low RPM, analogous to gearing, because that's essentially the same yeah. impact, but in a mechanical sense. Um, so all it's really doing is it's, it's matching the electrical characteristic of the machine much better to the operating region that the machine is operating in at that instant. So if you're at high speed, you're in parallel, you don't have a lot of D-axis current, you're very efficient at that point. Whereas if we don't do the coil switching um, to run at high speed, you have to have a lot of field weakening, which starts you know, taking away efficiency because you're putting current on the machine that's producing heat, but it's not producing torque. Yeah. So at the end of the day, um, I, I, one of the things that I also saw in here was that you can actually go from neodymium magnets down to maybe ferrite. Is that correct? Yeah. So that's, it's one of the things that I'm sort of most interested in actually is because I, I've grown to hate magnets. Um, <laughs> magnets are our friends <laughs> well, anyway go ahead I, I i'm just jerking you around but but i i i i mean there's a lot of people that have given um ferrite magnets you know the heave ho and said ah, we just can't make anything happen here uh if you could make that happen the price of the magnet drops plummets doesn't drop it plummets so yeah i'm kind of interested we have a study that we've done recently um, in collaboration with ABL, where yeah. we a leading EV, a leading <laughs> EV, and we we put our coil driver. We gave all the information to ABL, and ABL put our coil driver into that vehicle, and we showed that we could reduce the magnet use utilization by over nineteen percent. Um, and then, like mm -hmm. Eric, 
we could use well, that, that, other. That's, yeah, that, that's a rare earth magnet, right? But I mean, if we were talking about ferrites, and, and, and this is actually, I mean, without pictures, it's a little yeah. bit hard to show, but um, a lot of these magnet-free or rare earth-free machines, um, they struggle to give you the performance over the full operating speed range. This is the issue, right? So you can get the torque out of them, no worries, at low speed. But then they just fall on their face as the RPMs climb. Um, right. And that's where the core switching actually, you know, the, the, in this case, electric gearing is the, the interesting one is because we can bring that power back at high speed. Um, so ferrite is very interesting. Induction is, for me, is also very interesting because, I mean, the induction machine, you know, it's, it's, it has a lot of safety benefits. So one of the big problems that you have with permanent magnet motors is um, and whether it's ferrite or neodymium or whatever the case may be, um, if you spin that shaft, you've got it producing voltage. Um, and if the drive shuts down or something happens with a vehicle rotate, or you want to tow the car, right, you have this, this rotating machine producing voltage that you have to manage. Whereas with a with an induction motor, for example, if it's not energized, it's just a rotating piece of steel and nothing happens. So, um, but yeah, now the, the core switching allows the the magnet free or rare earth free machines to really um, give neodymium a good run for its money. So you mentioned <clears throat> I didn't I didn't see anything here about induction motors, but are you are you saying that maybe you could uh, eliminate magnets entirely because? I'm also a big fan of uh, of induction motors rather than um you know conventional PM motors so I'm I I uh, I'd like to hear more about that. I did not see this and I didn't I didn't see anything yeah, in the uh, stuff that was given to me. We're keeping that one under the radar a little bit. Um but oh. <laughs> <laughs> Can't believe it. Oh man, I thought we were buddies. <laughs> oh sorry man. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, no. So induction machines have the same issue with fuel weakening. They they perform very well, right? You can get the same, very similar torque density yeah. as a permanent magnet motor. The other cool thing about induction machines is they're very efficient at high speed. Um, yes. So the the coil driver basically counteracts the problem that induction machines have, which is they they you can either make them run at high speed or you can make them run at low speed, but not both. Very easy. Um, and you know, having the two to one uh, turns ratio essentially on that machine because an induction motor is at the end of the day a rotating transformer. Um, yeah. It brings back that power. And, and, and um, so you, I mean, we've got simulations and curves that basically in my mind, the induction machine with a coil driver will beat an IPM. Uh, it was kind of a natural progression, I think, an evolution of the tech as that we started with IPM because that's what the majority of the industry is using. You know, not there's not a lot of favoritism towards induction because it can't do the performance that it's supposed to do. But like you, I mean, I, I grew up on induction motors, so I'm also a big induction motor. Mm. Um, and so as Eric kind of really progressed and, and, the, and the coil driver evolved, then as he started working with different machines, induction became one of the ones that we've been working with in the last, you know, kind of several months. And the more we worked with it, the more we saw it really is a great platform for the coil driver. Yeah. And so we've got lots of simulations, lots of support on it. We're starting to talk to customers about how we co-develop, how we do something like that. Um, but I'm glad to hear you're an induction motor fan yeah. too. <laughs> well, I am. And, and quite frankly, it's because um, I'm, I'm really kind of interested in getting the price of <clears throat> EVs down. And um, induction motors, unless you're going to, you know, machine copper, like yeah, you said, that was, what was it, the... Um, very prominent electric uh, car company, whatever. They also made um, an induction motor, but they had 
machined uh, uh, copper plates, basically, like laminates. But anyway, I, I couldn't understand that one. Uh, but, you know, if you if you um, if you uh, die cast aluminum straight into it, I mean, you've got <laughs> this is light lighter, which is one of the things I'm trying to do with every car that we every vehicle that we try and design or what have you. We try and make it as light as we possibly can. And I, I just think that ultimately, if somebody can come up with some way of giving me what I can get out of a, um, uh, a PM motor, then I, I, I'd have my customers switching in a heartbeat. Yeah. I mean, no, you did the, the, the copper cage is what you're talking about, right? So the, the yeah, yeah, element. Yeah. now we, we, so we're, I mean, I don't know if we're allowed to talk about the You can talk about it. Okay. Yeah. So we've, we've, I've, I've been doing a lot of simulation on, on induction machines. So we use ANSYS package. So, you know, I don't try to, you know, lie to myself with simulation. The idea is to get it as accurate as possible. Um, but so we've just built a prototype uh, and it is a copper rotor. So the, the key thing with the, the aluminum um, in the cage is the, it's, it's essentially acting as a conductor in there, right? So you want actually, um, the copper has much lower conduction losses than aluminum does. So this is a copper rotor machine, but you can die cast the copper in there as well. So that's one of the, the things with some some casting companies they'll what they will high pressure die cast the copper cage into the into the rotor structure yeah. so, um but the, that reduces the increases the efficiency significantly right because copper is about half the conduction loss of aluminium right. so but yeah no that that's I, I would love to do the same thing to me after doing all these simulations with a coil driver and and what it does with series and parallel mode with an induction machine you know the conclusion i'm coming to is like we can beat an IPM with a three-phase with an induction motor. And then you have all the safety benefits. You can tow, you can drive. We can coast the drive, right? I mean, something you can't do with an, with an IPM is if you're yeah. driving down the road at a certain speed and you want to coast down a hill, if you, you know, you can shut the drive off and you don't have any energy loss in the, in the power electronics. Whereas with a, with a um, permanent magnet motor, you have to maintain current flow in, in the state. Otherwise, it's, you know, it, it basically blows itself to pieces. Hmm. Well, the other thing that I saw was that the um, that you can um, extend life of batteries, or at least make a um, a battery that might be running at eighty percent bump up to eighty five, or maybe even ninety percent back. Is that is that did I read that correctly? You read that quickly. So that's a separate piece of technology for us. So we have two core technologies. The first one is motor driver, which is motor control and traction inverters vehicles. The second one is a cell driver, which is battery level control. We haven't done it in a vehicle right now, but what we have proven is the ability to take a battery out of a vehicle and repurpose it, mix chemistries within one single energy storage unit. So extending the life. Theoretically, again, in simulations, we can see that we could use it in a vehicle and we could extend the life of the battery. We're not sure yet of the cost points of that, if that's going to help to reduce the cost of the EV. Because like you, we believe that that's a key part of, you know, making EV stick and transition and, and, and grow in numbers is getting that cost down. Yeah, well, the cost is the big thing. Batteries are the, I mean, the single biggest cost associated with any any vehicle. And uh, a lot of people are always worried about, which is, I think, baloney. I, <clears throat> I have a lot of problems with uh, what I read in the paper, um, usually written by people who haven't a clue. But it, but I, I really and truly believe that if there's some way that we could 
cut down the amount of uh, loss that might come to batteries, especially with abuse. I mean, some guy um, uh, was on one of the YouTube or maybe it was uh, X or something. I can't remember what it was. But anyways, he said that, um, you know, he's got 110,000 miles on his battery or something along that line. And uh, and now the damn thing's dead. And then you read what kind of duty cycle he gave it, supercharging twice a day and then plugging it at home on top of it. Oh, my God. I mean, and cycling it from zero to 100 percent continuously. That that kind uh, that just I mean, I can blow up. Um, I can blow up. A, in fact, I used to. I used to work for Ford and we used to blow up engines all the time. And you can do it in a lot of different ways. Don't change the oil or don't put oil in it or get rid of the coolant. I mean, people can blow up an engine and you can basically kill a battery as well if you if you do goofy things. Could your um, your proposal uh, with the, the new battery controller, could that maybe alleviate the problem or at least uh, circumvent uh, someone who doesn't know what they're doing uh, from causing serious grief to their battery packs? <clears throat> um, unfortunately, the you know the, the, what's that saying is you make something idiot proof, the world comes up with a better idiot. Um, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So um, no, we're not supposed way, to use the word idiot anymore, but uh, but I use it all the time. I uh, I personally am glad that you said it first and I did not say it <laughs> because I have to continuously check so, myself. Yeah, oh, and I would uh, say that. Uh, we, I agree with you 100%. Part of the biggest problem is just education and that, you know, always yeah. be an advocate right. and leaders in, in, in spreading education. Our control is like a next generation for battery management. So it's like battery control. It goes to the cell level. So you could predict sooner the, the, the problems that you're causing for your battery. But if they continue to do those unintelligent things to the battery, it's still oh, unintelligent. I'm going to write that. <laughs> <down>. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, I mean, it, it comes down to like, I mean, why, you know, you know most battery packs, they, they have a large number of cells in series, right? So you end up with um, basically the weakest link being the downfall of the whole whole system. So, right. yeah. um, you know, our system will prevent like the, the weakest cells from being overcharged or over discharged, which would eventually result in that pack lasting a little bit longer. Um but, you know, if you're fast charging, I mean, that that's just hard on the battery. I mean, fast charging, especially, um, you know, a lot of cells, if you look at them, they, they, you can discharge them pretty quickly, no problem, like 10C, 20C, 30C. But it's the charging rate um, is, is typically quite sensitive in, in cells. Um, so where our system does come into play is it allows you to, to, you know, take cells out that are, you know, being pressed a little bit hard maybe, and then let the rest of the system continue charging. Um, Without going into too much detail, but I mean, it's it's fundamentally that's the the whole ECS was designed originally with second life batteries in mind, where you know you have no guarantee what no. your cell capacity is, right? So you've got yeah. a huge range of cell capacities, and that's why you can't put them into a traditional um, sort of series string because you've yeah. got you know some cells are very weak and some cells are very strong, and you can never get full capacity out of the whole thing. Whereas um, our algorithm and our system allows us to put, you know, we can put different cells of different capacities, different chemistries. They can all mix together and play in one, one system. They all get managed individually. So um, very powerful from that perspective. Do you have to add any more sensors or do you, or can you pick it up from 
I don't know, impedance or whatever that comes to the uh, signal? Or how do you do that? Um, well, I mean, there's, there's, we measure each cell individually. So, I mean, like a normal BMS does that anyway, you'll measure each cell. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Um, and I mean, the current is easy and you have to measure that once because it's the same current going through all the cells. Um, and yeah. then you'll, we'll typically also have some temperature sensor on the individual cells as well. Um, but, uh, the, the secret is really in, in, in the, uh, the cell switching and the algorithm that controls it. Um, mm. so from, you know, from a second life battery perspective, it works for, for grid scale storage. So we can take used batteries and, um, and maximize their, their full capacity in a, in a, you know, stationary energy storage application. Um, and then for, you know, where we've sort of thought about it from, from an EV perspective, where it gets really interesting is if when you combine fuel cell, which is a variable output voltage device, right, yeah, yeah. it's a huge DC DC converter. Um, so we can kind of put a fuel cell with a battery system with our coil driver because those things all sort of, so the coil driver right now, we're, we're using it at a, at a fixed voltage, right? So normal, typical fixed DC link. Um, then you get those two torque curves. But the other alternative that you can use with a, other way that you can use a coil driver is, is if you want to do, say, for example, a, a direct fuel cell powered system, let's say a train, right? Um, where you don't want a battery in there and you've just got the output from the fuel cell coming directly into the traction inverter. Now, the voltage of the fuel cell is changing quite a lot with load. So you might be, I don't know, 900 volts with no load and it might drop to about 500 volts under full load. Um, so now instead of using the coil switching to give you those two speed torque curves and uh, what, what you'll use the coil switching for is now to actually counteract the changing voltage of the DC link to maintain performance of the system. So we can almost mm -hmm. make the, the varying DC link transparent to the motor performance um, when you, if you're using a direct fuel cell conversion or in between, we can add the BCS to it. You can, there's a whole kaleidoscope of ways you can run the fuel cell, you can fuel cell to charge a battery or you can the full power. I mean, it's kind, of, it's kind of one of the big strengths of doing it through power electronics versus doing it only through a motor, you know, evolution yeah. or battery evolution is that through the electronics, you have a lot more choices of yeah. what you can control. So have you ever talked to Nicola about this, uh, the truck company? Um, I, I'm not going to answer who we talk to outside of public because we are public. <laughs> <laughs> we have to call all right well if that's the case okay so um, anyway arizona. what's that we are already... in arizona ah well i actually um um you know we've we've uh we've worked with them in the past and uh quite frankly um i'm uh i'm a big i'm a fan of fuel cells somewhat i i do not believe that a fuel cell in a car is a good idea I, I took apart the Mirai and, uh, anyhow, uh, I just don't think that's a good idea. I think that the first, uh, first application that you could have that really makes sense is a class eight truck. And then from there it goes to the moon, literally. Um, and that's where I think fuel cells are really, if they're bigger or they're in a situation where, you know, you have to carry tremendous amounts of uh, power along with you, like hydrogen. Then, uh, then it's uh, it's lighter and it's more cost effective and whatever. But controlling it um, under a variety of different circumstances, like you were just talking about, uh, where you're climbing a hill versus uh, just trying to get from point A to point B, that that's where uh, that's where it could use some help. So, um, 
And I'm always looking for, again, they may not be customers, but I'm always looking for ways that we can help whomever happens to be in the um, EV world, uh, help them to reduce cost, reduce waste, weight, and um, <clears throat> and uh, ultimately give longer lives. So that's, I, 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 I'm hoping there's going to be a few people. In fact, I might encourage a couple of my uh, contacts to, um, have a look at this. Yeah, and definitely. Those are those are kind of the core value props of using the coil driver in particular. Yeah. Is that, you know, you can reduce system weight because you use a smaller motor or eliminate a gearbox or an onboard charger, yeah. and then you drive down cost um, from doing it through the electronics as yeah. a, as a system. Well, there's a couple of uh, you've got a couple of examples in your um, in your portfolio that that I got. Um, can you uh, maybe address a couple of the, I'm not sure if they were experiments or or real life uh, right. kinds of applications. Maybe you can yeah. go through some of those. Well, we have two, two levels of validation that you probably found on our website. The first is third-party testing that we've done either at right. AVL, those were simulations. At UTech in Detroit, we did actual test benching of, of the high voltage. It's a class, you know, it's probably that one's a class six, class yeah. six through eight. Yeah, um, delivery truck. Delivery yeah. truck, like an F-59 UPS truck yeah, style. Right, yeah. Um, and then we have some on-road validation in Europe with our with our smaller 100-volt drive. And now we've just launched our first bus, and we have our first UPS trucks uh, for our partners, C-Electric, and an axle with Linamar um, that are being upfitted right now. Linamar's will be first quarter. Um, C-Electric's will hit the test tracks this month. And our electric bus is already on the road and we're, you know, moving to first orders with them. So we've got a couple of really great on-road proof points as well that really show that ability to electronically gear, like to, to, to drive. I, I, I like to say I'm, I'm not as technical as you, Eric. So I just say I like to I like to conquer real world driving. So be more mm -hmm. in the real world, not just, you know, your Sunday drive going to pick up groceries, but you want to be a truck that's loaded up with packages or you want to cruise the highway right. and climb hills, that's where the coil driver is going to shine. Mm. And I mean, well, this is the, this is the kind of stuff that I, I, I'm very, very interested in. So uh, anyway, you were going to say something, Eric, and I cut you off. I'm sorry. No, no, no worries. Um, I was going to say, actually the point about fuel cells, I, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting that you bring that up. I, cause I've been doing a lot of thinking about, powertrains and what's you know what's what's the you know the best way to do it and it's like you know battery electric i think works really well for personal transportation um but yeah. you get to a point and I, I kind of look at it from from a fuel tank perspective right like you know the average passenger car you fill your tank up like once once every couple of weeks sort of thing um whereas if you go into a a working vehicle all of a sudden you might be filling your gas tank up once a, once a day or twice a day right and that, that directly translates to how much work the vehicle is doing right so a battery will easily do the the passenger car type applications anywhere where you you know you can get away with you know filling a tank up maybe once a week or once a day kind of thing but as you get into heavy duty work like a train hauling freight across the um across the country for example or, or class a trucks long haul trucking and stuff like that you get into a very very different you know, you've got hundreds and hundreds of gallons of diesel oil that these things are burning as they drive the road and then all of a sudden you know you need more energy density and that's where i think hydrogen will will play a big role well i i'm also uh getting on board with hydrogen up until i found out about white hydrogen and uh some poor characters in 
Africa that um, discovered it um, by accident and unfortunately uh, didn't survive. Um, now, uh, now that we know that hydrogen is like every other gas uh, embedded in the earth somewhere, um, it sounds to me like maybe that would be uh, a better way for extraction as opposed to screwing around with hydrolysis or anything else like that. Uh, so I'm getting more and more enthusiastic about, about hydrogen. Um, I know there's tons of it around. It's the biggest, it's the number one element on the planet, but I'd really like to see is um, uh, a cool way of um, <clears throat> reducing the cost for that stuff. <clears throat> and maybe the white hydrogen idea is a, is a deal that could make be make things happen. And by the way, that guy that uh, that I was talking about, he was running a taxi cab, and um, that might be another application. We, I never really thought of it until you thought about usage and stuff like that. But uh, cabs, taxi cabs, really, they don't stop much. Uh, usually, they run twenty four hours a day. Uh, this guy was a over the top Uber driver, but. Maybe uh, there should be a special car or a special vehicle that uh, that would uh, where where a, a fuel cell might might be might be useful. Swapping out cells is a lot faster and easier than sitting around charging up batteries. And and like I say again, you you get depletion or you you get wear if you cycle them as much as uh, as maybe what a taxi driver would would do. So maybe there's a an opportunity out there for a new type of vehicle that would be for, you know, taxi style um, transportation. Yeah. I mean, you'd have to look at the, the actual mileage. I mean, you know, taxis, I don't know how much time do they spend driving versus sitting around waiting. Um, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not very familiar with the taxi industry really in that kind of depth. <laughs> um, so I, yeah, what's like no, what's an average would be daily interesting mileage? Just from a high level, uh, yeah. just from a high level, be interesting as far as the swap. You know, the swap as far as if you think about taxis and you know how they'd have to how they could potentially charge wrong and drain down, degrade your battery just from wrong charging procedure. Yeah, yeah. that could be interesting. Yeah. Well, uh, actually, my uh, my father in law uh, was a taxi driver, and he drove for eight hours. And when he was done, he pulled into the shop and um, got out and another guy got in and away they went. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was like a 24-hour kind of uh, operation or almost maybe 20 hours or something like that. But it was, uh, it was they were on the road all the time. <clears throat> a place like New York or whatever, I don't think those guys uh, ever turn off the engine. Right. I think they uh, hot seat the, uh, uh, the vehicles. So there might be an opportunity then for a new type of vehicle that we haven't really uh, we haven't really looked at yet, and maybe your product with a fuel cell would be the the right thing to do. Yeah, it might, yeah. Be, might be something to look at. That's for sure. I mean, that's that's basically the. I mean, it's it's a duty cycle. That's the problem, right? I yeah. mean, if the vehicle is running twenty four hours a day, um, you know, if you have to charge for say thirty or forty percent of that time, then that all of a sudden, actually, what that translates to is essentially, you know, forty percent yeah. vehicles to yeah. the same um, operating. Uh, what is it? What's the word I'm looking for? Oh my god, operating capacity, shall we say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And that's basically what we'll be looking at. So let me ask you, um, you, you mentioned that you have some stuff um, on buses and, uh, and Lindemar and whatnot. Um, have, you, have you enticed any of the bigger OEMs in your direction yet? We have. So we have, we're still under NDA, so we haven't announced our name, but we have, you know, what would have been a past big three auto, global automotive passenger vehicle. That's actually um, with the desire to have an innovation project that could demonstrate kind of everything the coil driver does, the constant power, you know, reduce rare earth dependency. And so Eric's been kind of taking the lead and working through that. We're, we're, we're working through some gates with them, but we're feeling pretty positive and we've definitely learned a lot about what our coil driver is capable of. And, and they've learned a lot about kind of challenging the status quo. Cause that comes, that's part of it too, Sandy, right? It's a, it's a pretty, you, yeah. you've, you've been in this industry a long time. So, you know, it's a pretty traditional industry. And so we're really challenged on many different levels, how you think about energy consumption. Yeah. 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 Well, as far as I'm concerned, I'm hoping I know which one it is uh, because, um, one of the traditional OEMs has kind of like lead, led the way on pretty much everything. And I'm hoping it's that group, but we won't discuss that here. <laughs> Anyhow. <laughs> it's, been, it's been a good partnership so far, so we're happy with it. Yeah. So let me ask you the big question. If I take a traditional vehicle and I, and I swap out what they have traditionally done, and I put your system in. Is there a um, is there a cost advantage or a cost disadvantage? So it depends on yeah, how you look the at ABL it. study. Yeah. So the the driver is obviously going to be more expensive. But so if you look at it from um, a system level perspective, right? So you've you've got more more money in the power electronics, but that allows you to wipe out the rare earth magnets in a in an electric motor. Let's say by going to an induction machine. Um, and I mean, when you look at the price of rare earths, especially if you, um, if you, if you want to see some, some crazy numbers, like look at the DOE critical materials report for 2023. Um, they, they all sort of start saying like neodymium, dysprosium, these are all, you know, very, very supply risk materials, um, for the medium and far term for, for a clean energy type application, right? So if we can get rid of those materials, I mean, even if we just ignore the, you know, the environmental impact of refining rare earths is another. Yeah, that's a big problem. It's, yeah. it's a huge mess. Um, but so needless to say that eliminating these expensive rare earths out of the machine essentially offsets the cost of the drive. So now you've taken, you know, three or $400 of magnets out of, out of the motor. You've added a little bit of cost on the, on the, on the power electronics. Um, and now you've also increased the, the drive cycle efficiency. So you've got a much, much wider, high efficiency operating region, which depending on the drive cycle, depending on the vehicle, depending on the motor, you know, you can get in somewhere between two to six, 7% increase in, in range on, on depending on what the drive cycle is. You know, if, if you're doing highway cruising, you might see seven to 10% increase. Um, mm. So now you start looking at that saying, well, if I want the same range, I can take 7% of my battery out or 6% of my battery. And I mean, batteries are not, not cheap, right? If you take, um, you know, kilowatt hours out, that's a, you know, a couple of grand basically. So um, depending on, depending on the end usage, I'd say in commercial trucking, which is where we've, we've done and focused a lot of work so far, um, you're going to see up to 20% cost savings on the system. And that's an ideal system, um, efficiency. So 
they're eliminating a two-speed gearbox, reducing but a battery. But that's still with a PM motor. That's that's still with a PM motor. Yeah. And so that one, we validated those price points through all the projects that we have, and we're really confident in our ability to take down the cost of a commercial truck substantially. Yeah. On passenger vehicle, it's slightly less because you know you're not going to have all the mechanical driven components that you have in a commercial truck, but I would say it's still in that kind of 10 to 12% system savings on the overall cost of the vehicle. So the battery, like you said, would save about $700 on, on an electric vehicle on the road today, just from battery savings. Well, that's pretty good. But it sounds to me like <clears throat> where the real savings are, uh, are for the consumer. Um, it sounds to me like uh, as a consumer, I probably wind up spending less money per year on electricity and I'd probably get longer range and I'd probably get a lighter vehicle, which again would equate to, to range among other things. So is that part of your, um, your, uh, business plan then or? Absolutely. Yeah, it is a hundred percent. Um, you know, we're, we're basically a business to business model, but the actual savings is at that end user, at that consumer user, whether that's you or I driving an electric vehicle or a, a fleet that's driving, you know, to drive down cost on their entire fleet as, you know, fleet regulations come in prior to passenger vehicle regulations. Well, um, we've, we've done a lot of work with, um, fleets and, uh, companies that manufacture class A trucks for fleets. And uh, those folks, <clears throat> they are very astute when it comes to total accounted cost. And total accounted cost means how much is this thing going to cost me? And usually the cheapest part of the whole, <clears throat> the whole procedure is buying the initial truck. Regardless of how much you pay for it, the total accounted cost over a year is vastly bigger than... Um, that's the greater than uh, than the original cost of the truck, and that's why only if you look at trucks, very few uh, truck companies will mm, pick a cheap uh, powertrain. Not interested. <clears throat> they will spend the best money they can get, or the biggest money they can get, on the powertrain that they know will give them a million, and that's what they 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 look at. It's a million miles. Um, on a truck before it, and you need to scrap it out and do something else. Yeah, yeah so, not only that, but like a breakdown. Imagine a, lot, a truck breaking down on the road somewhere. I mean, yeah. the cost of, you know, especially if you've got perishable goods or something in there, right. you know, the cost of that offsets right. any savings you might have done by buying a cheap drivetrain. Exactly. Single failure, right? Yeah, yeah. So this sounds like, to me, um, I can see it in three different areas. One is... Uh, heavy truck and not with batteries, but probably with fuel cells. And then um, looking at the, uh, the general consumer um, dropping away from PM magnets and uh, moving toward induction motors. And then that seems like a, a good idea. Most people don't need to have um, a race car. <clears throat> Very few grandmas want to go zero to 60 in a couple of seconds. It doesn't happen. And most people use their car to go to the drugstore or the grocery store. They're not going to uh, drive, uh, you know, from their home in Detroit to San Diego. It just isn't going to happen. They, it hasn't happened very often. And I hear all this stuff about, well, I got to buy a truck because 
Once every two years, I tow a boat. Uh, here, there's these guys down the road. They uh, they rent trucks. You could use one of those instead of hauling around this great big giant <clears throat> whatever. Any and so and then the last one is the one that um, I haven't really thought about at all before, which is the uh, the the development of a of a taxi that could run on um, on hydrogen like a fuel cell. And um, with uh, with an incredible duty cycle that that strikes me as being um, at least for me one of the high points of this converse. Actually, the whole thing was quite good. I wasn't exactly sure what I was going to hit because, um, like I told my guys, um, gee, this sounds like magic, <laughs> you know. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, <clears throat> magic, uh, magic, and I don't get along. I've, Nor, I've been burned quite a number of times. It's, it's electron. So we're, we're big. We're big on reality. Know, again, we're, we're challenging yeah. and we know that. But, um, you know, it's based on physics. It's based. It's just taking physics of electric motors into electronics. It's a natural yeah. progression. Um, but, it, it, hey, Sandy, one thing I do want to say is even on the commercial truck, uh, I'll say I'm a little bit different than you or Eric in that I do think there's a good place for full battery electric commercial trucks. There is. In, full in short haul. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, exactly. The shorter haul, the mid, the mid duty, yeah. you know, that class three through six. Um, and there's a lot of problems there right now, you know, from a total yeah. cost of ownership, I'm sure you're aware. Well, they even, even on class eight, if you, if you want to have uh, an experience, go down to Oxnard docks and, um, that's where, that's where uh, Nicola is trying out their battery electric vehicles, short haul, you know, you've got a couple of great big giant freighters that you've got to unload and stuff like that. You have a look at that and you see huge amounts of smoke, huge amounts of smoke, huge amounts of smoke, no smoke, no smoke. I mean, and and that's all, I mean, it's hot. Yeah. It's hot in California during the day. And these guys have got to run the, air, the AC system. But sure. I mean, at the end of the day, all they do is stand there and pollute. Um, I'm not a... I'm not 100% into being a tree hugger, but at the end of the day, this is just plain old stupid. What what happens in that neighborhood? I mean, everything around it is black. I mean, where did that come from? Well, it wasn't from a forest fire or something. This is coming from these big trucks spewing diesel uh, exhaust. <clears throat> so this is the perfect application for battery. You can skip the uh, fuel cell for that. Long haul, I'm I'm a big fan of uh, of, uh, of uh, fuel cells, but for this other application where you're unloading trucks and you're it's really a short haul, but it's a big truck like what Nickel is doing with uh, with theirs is, and I drove that truck. I I drove it and um, and I didn't even know I had a trailer on back. I thought I, I don't know, I lost my mind, but uh, I got in and drove the thing around. And then uh, the guy says, well, you might want to ease up a bit going around this curve. <laughs> really? Why? You know, uh, and then I drove it in and stopped it. And he said, well, you handle it really well. Uh, I was a little nervous with the uh, trailer and whatnot when you're going around. What? W what? I had a trailer. And then I got out and I, I thought I was going to faint. I mean, <laughs> but with the power that you got with electric, no, no shifting of gears and other it's amazing what you can do, and and uh, and quite frankly, I think any dockyard should uh, 
they should only allow. I mean, the the cities could regulate that. Yeah. Uh, the dockyard and the cities could say, forget it. You you can't bring a diesel in here, and that would be the end of that. And probably a lot of people in a neighborhood would be a lot happier as well. Yeah, kind of like you said uh, at the beginning, right? I think in general, media is not doing a very good job of telling the right story because with electrification, there is some that just makes absolute sense right now. Yeah, yeah, well. The problem I have with a lot of the media stuff is they just get it sometimes so hilariously wrong. No, we can't talk bad okay. about media right now. <laughs> oh, really? Well, I can. And, can. Uh, and I do. So uh, there you are. I, I personally uh, think that if you're not paying uh, the ransom, like buying ads, you get thrown under the bus. And that's just the way it works. And um, these guys, if it bleeds, it reads. And um, hey, if we have to make up a, you know, a story here and there, well, it's okay. But between marketing, I can't really divulge everything that I talk about either. But marketing, the um, <clears throat> range anxiety thing, and uh, biodiesel is better than, uh, is less uh, uh, polluting than, um, than going with, um, uh, you know, solar or whatever, on and on and on. <clears throat> Those things all came from marketing agencies. That didn't come from, uh, that didn't come from reality and certainly didn't come from anybody who's an engineer. It's just, yeah, and and it catches on. Sound bites really work well, uh, for uh, at least for the for the media's, the different media groups. So, yeah, I mean, when you even biodiesel is one of those things. It's like, yeah, it works in a small setting, but you try to replace, <laughs> let's say, the United States' diesel consumption with biodiesel, and you do the numbers on that. It's just like, where is it all going to come from? Yeah, well. Yeah, well, that wasn't uh, really part of the uh, discussion. I'm sure at that large German company that we can't talk about. Anyhow, at the end of the day, um, <clears throat> this has been a lot of fun, and I've learned quite a bit. And uh, I really, uh, I really am intrigued. Um, I was kind of um, worried that either I would run out of intelligence <laughs> in asking questions, or uh, or uh, this was going to be so deep that I wouldn't really understand anything that's going on. But I think you explained it really quite quite well. And I think uh, that the audience is going to kind of get into this. I'm hoping, too, that we do get uh, quite a few bigger companies into this. And, and I'm hoping that some of them will look at this and say, you know what, this might be a better route to take than, um, uh, than just abandoning, uh, abandoning ship. And, uh, and we're just, we're just going to stay making ICE vehicles because that's what Wall Street wants us to do. <clears throat> that's what I'm hoping will happen. A, a little bit will happen here for you. Yeah, we, we're, we're big believers that, well, you know, the narrative being pushed right now is that it's, it's, it's slow. It is slow. That's true. But disruption happens through hard reality. Well, right? So here, it's going to yeah, take if, if you've got, if you've got the media spewing out propaganda continuously about how this don't work and that don't work and we can't do this and, Let's get back to basics and whatnot. Well, you keep doing that. Plus, you've got, you know, the the political thing going on. I, I, I'm pretty sure that sooner or later, 
the general public will get enough education to figure out that, hey, this guy's lying to me and so is that guy. And then maybe things will happen. And then, of course, you know that it's 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 come to fruition when you hear somebody who is <laughs> dead set against EVs and everything else, and they come along and say, oh, yeah, well, when I blah, 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 and, uh, and I told everybody. Yeah, that's when you know that uh, the tide has turned. Yeah. <laughs> But anyways, it's been great talking to you. I, I really appreciate I really appreciate you guys coming on. Um, and I also very appreciative to Frasad for letting us use this fabulous uh, fabulous uh, recording area here. I'm uh, I'm extremely excited about uh, running back. I'm sure Eric, my Eric, is extremely <laughs> excited about running back and uh, telling Cheryl, our CFO, that he has to buy more stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah well, we have to be like facade yeah thank you very much for having us on the show we really really appreciate it and we invite you to come on out and drive our electric Humvee and and, and feel for yourself the coil driver mm. oh really well i would love to do that where where are you guys located anyways i didn't see we're, we're that. sitting in phoenix just outside of phoenix arizona outside our, of phoenix ah okay that's where our Humvee lives so you can kind of take it for a drive and eric would be happy to take it out with yeah. you and kind of let cool. you feel yeah, well, we I'm, might uh, we might just take you up on that uh, a ride and drive. I'm not sure whether I don't I don't know where I'm going to be next week, let alone um, you know when I'm going to be in a, a certain location. But but it would be great to try that out. I think I'd I'd, I'd enjoy trying to do that. Yeah, yes. I think you would too. Anytime, Sam. Okay. Because great. that trip is also quite fun because we've only talked about the uh, you know the serious business stuff, you know, efficiency and cost and blah blah blah. But yeah. Following that torque curve is, it's like a two-speed, right? You know, you, you do feel it when you wow. floor and you follow that curve. It's like, you know, you it, it hauls like a freight train, lets off a little bit, and then it's like warp drive as you hit parallel mode. It's <laughs> Really? Yeah, wow. It's that sounds like even more fun. And yeah. there's a lot of desert around Phoenix, so I, I can't, possibly, uh, can't possibly hurt it. Yeah. Oh, Good yeah. deal. If you like to drive, it's definitely a fun afternoon. Cool. That's, right. I'm looking for fun. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks very much, Susan and Eric. Thank you so much for uh, for uh, attending our podcast. And uh, we'll be putting your uh, website so people can see what's going on. Uh, that'll be coming up. And uh, to all those who've uh, watched or listened, uh, thank you very much for uh, listening to Monroe Live podcast again. Thank you. Bye now. Thank, thank you. you.